Hey everyone, welcome back to our weekly sermon podcast for Coastal Community Church in Grover Beach. Uh, This week, Andy preaches. This is the Sunday, October 16th, 2022. Andy preaches from Acts 13 as we continue to follow Paul and Barnabas. And this time, they are traveling through what is modern-day Turkey. We get to see how some Greek believers respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Andy also, during this sermon, challenges our definition of incompetency and some lies that we can tell ourselves. And once again, Andy gives us a chance to do some exchange work and say no to those lies and to accept the truth of Jesus. So I hope you enjoy this sermon. Here's Andy. Oh my gosh, I'm excited about the pie baking contest. I'm excited. Well, welcome everybody. Uh, If you are new or or visiting with us this morning, welcome. I hope that you feel warmly welcome. And Ryan, great job on that video, yeah. right? As, a, as, a, uh, as an introvert, Ryan sitting there doing a video, that was a big deal. So thank you. We see you, and we appreciate you, and I'll stop embarrassing you now. Um, good morning, friends. We believe three things in this church. We see these truths woven all throughout Scripture. They happen all the time in our lives. And they all come from Isaiah 61, which is the heartbeat of our, uh, of our church. It's the passage that Jesus reads when he stands up and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, to set the captives free, to, to give sight to the blind, to bind up the brokenhearted, to, to create men and women and children of deep faith that we would be like oak trees where our roots would run deep into the goodness and love of God and that we would provide shade and life for all those around us. And so these three truths we repeat every week because we forget. So the first one is this. There's always hope beyond our brokenness. Always. Um, Today, I want to talk a little bit about what gets in the way of us even admitting our brokenness. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, what does it feel like to to be incompetent, and not like incompetent like is in the normal definition of the word, but as in when you feel accused of incompetence by the enemy of your soul. So we're going to talk about that today. Second, we believe that we're called to trust in our risen Savior, and He's alive and present. Amen? Amen. And he's good. And he's doing great things. And you're going to hear about even more great things that he's doing. Third, we're called to bring restoration right where we are. You don't have to wait to be perfect. uh, Because the moment that you walked in here, you wrecked that perfect church, right? There's no such thing. Uh, and, And we're all, we all have places of wounding. And we all have places of beauty, and we all have places where God is using us right where we are to make a difference right where we are. Amen? Amen. So these truths that we see in Scripture also come with choices, right? The life of faith is a life of trust, and it's also a life of action. And so we make this choice every week as we declare 
um, our choice this morning as a follower of Jesus. So if you feel so inclined, read this with me and put in some pepper on it, okay? All right? Don't just mumble it, right? Like, declare it, okay? We are disciples who walk intentionally with God. Therefore, I choose to be changed by Jesus. I choose to seek Jesus first. And I choose to join Jesus in his resurrection work. I love it. Will you pray for me? Not, well, yeah, you could do that too. So Jesus, help me. Amen? Amen. Can I pray for us? Before I pray for us, can I ask your permission to speak to your heart of hearts? Okay. And it's okay if, you're, if, you, if you don't know me, it's okay to be like, oh, I don't know. But that's what I'm asking. I'm asking to speak to the deep, deepest part of you today. Okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are good. Lord Jesus, you are great. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to speak to us now. We bind up and mute everything opposed to Christ that would be getting in the way of us listening or distracting us now in Jesus' name. God, we trust you that this time might be a time when you teach us, where you change us. And that's what we ask, Jesus. We ask for deliverance today for whatever chain or lie that is around our hearts or that has infected our thinking to be broken and renewed and restored because, Lord, we want to be set free. We want our blindness to be lifted. We want our heart to be bound back together again by your love. So that's our request, Jesus. We love you, Lord. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. I am so happy the Mariners lost. As a Seattle fan, I cannot handle success. So I'm comfortable when they lose, but I was anxious all week long. So I'm just, I'm excited. Uh, If you have been with us for a little bit, we've been in the book of Acts. Uh, We've been in the book of Acts uh, uh, for most of the summer and then now into the fall, and then we'll stay in the book of Acts uh, until Christmas time or so. And uh, the book of Acts uh, has been the story of how God, the Holy Spirit, reveals himself step by step by step to the people of God. Uh, So God doesn't reveal himself all at once to you. If he did, you wouldn't be able to get up. Does that make sense? Okay. So God reveals himself in stages and in moments. This is why in the Old Testament, they had lots of different names for God. God was El Shaddai and Elohim and Adonai. All of those mean the God who provides and the God who saves and the God who is great or powerful because those were experiences that people had with God. Does that make sense? So the Holy Spirit is our counselor, right? And we're not talking like a, um, uh, a nice counselor that just affirms every feeling that you have is good. We're talking like a counselor that speaks the truth to you. And yes, listens and supports, but also speaks the truth to you, hard truth sometimes. And the Holy Spirit is, is uh, the one who changes us, almost like a... a, a a nurse or a doctor, Jesus calls 
the, the counselor, like the great physician, like the one who's working on our inmost beings, right? That, that our counselors, our guide, who the Holy Spirit walks with us and shows us where to go and what to do next. That the Christian life isn't, uh, uh, Jesus bless my day and the plans that I have so that my kingdom and my will happens, right? We've all been there, done that, doesn't work. That's magical thinking. The Christian life is, Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done, so what would you have me do next? Does that make sense? So we're going to talk about what gets in the way of that today and the impact of what that happens when we do. So here we go, Uh, Acts chapter 13, Um, Paul... The, um, the murderous Jewish rabbi who then converted to Christianity, and Barnabas, and the intern John Mark, right? So you got a really nice guy, Barnabas. He's the guy that you always want to talk to at the barbecue. He's so nice. He's so kind. Paul, you're freaked out about. You don't know if he's going to kill you or if he's going to save you, but he's a powerful figure. And then you got the... 18-year-old John Mark who has no clue who he is or what he's doing, okay? So from Paphos, Paphos means hot, literally boiling hot. That's the Greek, Paphos. That's on the island of Cyprus. So imagine going to the Channel Islands from here. That's where they went. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia. Of course, you've been there. And John left them to return to Jerusalem. So check out this map for a second here. So um, here they are in Cyprus. Uh, This is in the eastern part of the Mediterranean Sea. They go to Paphos, and then they go up to modern-day Turkey, where they go to Perga. Perga still exists today. You can visit it if you want to, Um, in this region called Pamphylia. And then they're going to go to um, uh, Antioch, which is up north. Different than the Antioch that's in Syria. I don't know why. They have two names called Antioch, but there it is, okay? It's like Washington, D.C. versus the state. Yes? Okay, great. Uh, So there it is. So that's where Paul and his companions are going. Uh, Now, uh, back back, back to the text. So... Uh, from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where, read this with me, John left them to return to Jerusalem. You wouldn't think this is a big deal. Maybe John just is an 18-year-old. He's like, I college is starting in the fall. I got to go, right? But that's not the case. This is actually going to be a, uh, uh, a really, Paul's going to get really mad at uh, the intern, John Mark. Um, and, and let me just here pause this for a, a moment. John Mark, when he goes back to Jerusalem, uh, he'll be known as Mark for the rest of his life. He becomes, he hangs out with Peter, he becomes Peter's secretary, he writes down Peter's story and publishes the first account of Jesus' life, what we call the Gospel of Mark. That's what the intern did, Okay. So clearly this John Mark the intern is talented, smart, spirit-filled guy. Let me just say something important. Sometimes 
you need to leave a job or a situation, and though others will be mad, you're doing exactly what God is calling you to do. Okay? And it takes a whole lot of courage to step towards what God has for you because oftentimes what you're leaving behind isn't bad. It's actually really, really good. When the Spirit leads you, sometimes you're not just leaving something bad. Sometimes you're leaving something that anybody would call good, but you're leaving for something that God has for you, and that's okay. Does that make sense? Okay, so back to the text. On the Sabbath... Read this with me. From Perga, they went to Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. Um, so can I tell you a little bit of history as to why this verse matters? Has anybody seen the movie The Green Book? With, with, um, did you see this movie? Right? I don't know how they got the king of Gondor to play this part, but he did. And uh, there's Marshall Ali, who's wonderful. Um, and it's, it's, so it's a great movie. If you haven't seen it, won an Academy Award. It's legit a fantastic movie. And Viggo Mortensen plays a, a mob bodyguard that, that protects uh, Marsha Halley's character, who is this incredible uh, musician, talented musician. And basically, it's a mob investment to have this guy travel through the South to protect their performer and, and, and try and rake in some money. It's fantastic. It, the movie is called The Green Book, and it's named after a, the literal green book. The Green Book was, uh, was published by African Americans, black Americans for, oh gosh, since the 1920s in the United States, and it was the definitive guide to help black Americans navigate the South during Jim Crow. Does that make sense? So the towns to avoid, the, the towns that you could find safe food in, safe gas in, the literal names and addresses of people that you could stay with, that's the green book. Does that make sense? For 50 years, if you lived on the East Coast and you wanted to travel to the South, you owned the green book. It was the difference between life or death. So Jews had their own version of the Green Book all throughout Europe and the Eastern Mediterranean for over a thousand years. So they knew the safe places to go to, the safe towns that they could stay in, where there would be faithful Jews there. And uh, to this day, if you go to the East Coast where there's, uh, or down in Southern California where there's uh, a large population of Jewish uh, people, you will see on their doorposts a little metal, a little metal sign, right? Those are literally the words in Exodus um, of how the angel of death passed over uh, a Jewish house that had the blood of the lamb on it. Now, those are the verses of Hebrew. And so that was an ancient code, a secret code that if you painted on your door or placed on your door, when Jews would walk by, they would say, ah, the green book. That's a safe place to stay. And so then, as Has because uh, this is an uh, ancient, uh, or it's a Semitic culture, hospitality is very important, then you, as a Jew, if you're staying with other Jews, then you would go to synagogue with them. Does that make sense? Synagogue was a safe place. It's a place where you could rest. It's a place where you could worship. It's a place where you could get help. 
If you needed to get supplies, you could network with other Jews there, and you would be safely able to go on your way. Does that make sense? So when you read in the Bible, they went to synagogue. That's more than just they decided to go to church. It's they found a safe place, and they feel like they could have a moment where they could breathe. Can I encourage you right now? You have made this church a safe place for so many people who are desperate to find rest. Yeah, you can clap. Yeah. We had five families facing homelessness, and you solved that problem within a matter of weeks. Oh, come on. Are you serious? You solved their problems. Give yourself a hand. And you're like, I didn't do anything. No, you did. You, st- you, you, you gave. You, you helped. You were there. You prayed. Your prayers were answered. Yes. I, I got I to thank uh, Zed's mom, Debbie, because Zed's mom, Debbie, was, we were talking and praying, and she's just like, she got a fire in her. She's like, we're solving this problem now. <laughs> and when Zed's mom says we're doing that, then that's what people do. Um, but I just cannot thank you enough. For this church has become a safe haven, a safe harbor for so many. And I know that we feel that, and I just need to say thank you, and I love you. Okay? Back to the text. Okay, verse 15. Um, So Paul and and Barnabas is there. John Mark the interns off. And after reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. This is common today in synagogues all across the world, as well as even some churches. After reading God's word, any male could stand and then proclaim um, basically a sermon, a miniature sermon. But here in this small little village, right, this is not a big place, in a small little church is one of the most famous rabbis in the Jewish world. Paul. So imagine if I go on vacation, right, and our guest preacher is Rick Warren. Right? And you think to yourself, why did I skip that Sunday? Right? But that's, that's, that's what it would be like. It'd be like inviting Rick Warren here, one of the most famous pastors in the United States, and he would give the Sunday sermon. Okay? Paul was that big of a deal. Verse 16. Read with me. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Immediately, Paul speaks with authority. And everyone is on the edge of their seats, even the Gentile converts. Little towns like this, middle-class towns in... um, especially in this region, modern-day Turkey, known in the Bible as Galatia. The book of Galatians is basically the whole of Turkey, and it's this constellation of churches in Turkey. That's Galatia, or when Paul writes to the Galatians, he's writing to a dozen or so churches. These little towns were middle-class towns, and they were filled with former Roman soldiers looking for a peaceful life after a lot of war and horror. 
And Roman soldiers often converted to Judaism because they liked that somehow Judaism offered forgiveness. There was a way to get clean. You follow the law, you offer your sacrifice, your sins were forgiven, and you were washed clean. So when Paul stands up to speak, everyone is listening, and Paul starts by preaching an oldie but goodie, a sermon that everyone would be excited to hear, and it goes like this. Paul says this. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. And everybody's going to go, mm-hmm. That's your line. That's, okay, that's your job. When I do this, you go, mm-hmm. Okay? The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. Say, oh, somebody give me an amen. amen. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. Somebody give me a clap. Okay? Keep on going. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. And he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. Somebody say amen. Somebody say preach. All this took about 450 years. Oh, yeah. Oldie but goodie. Right? Everybody's all, and all the Gentiles are like, oh, this is cool. I'm learning some history here today. And all the Jews are like, oh, I know this. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Okay? Next slide. Verse 20. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Mm. And then the people asked for a king. And he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. Oh, that's right. There you go. There you go. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Here we go. Now Paul's making a case. See, now he had brought it all the way from Genesis all the way through Exodus, delivered into the new land. Here we go. And he could have gone any which different way, but he decided to talk about who's going to be king. And when you talk about who's going to be king in Israel, the next step is who's going to be Messiah? Who's going to be the Savior? And so the tension's building, Right? Right? It's like that, you know, you know, like when you watch a, like a series on television, right? When you binge watch something, right? And it's like episode 14 of season five, and you just know, you know that like, <gasps> what's going to happen, right? Right? And they always disappoint you, but still that tension is, that tension is there, yes? Right? 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 I mean, you can't wait for next week's like reunion of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Yeah? Right? What are they going to do? Right? Okay. After removing Saul, he made David their king. Oh, boy. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, and he will do everything I wanted him to do, and everybody knows what's coming next, but they're all holding their breath. Paul, the most gifted preacher that they've ever seen in this little tiny synagogue, is about to talk about the Messiah. And from, next slide, verse 23, and from this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior. Not God will bring, not God might bring. What does it say? God has brought. Everybody's like, oh, my gosh. He's about to tell us who the Messiah is. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Here we go. 
Can you just put, just picture it, right? Just picture it. Okay? Can you imagine if in every other city, all of this news started boiling up around you? Miracles taking place. Rivers of disabled people going into Jerusalem and rivers of healed people walking out. Can you imagine? Maybe you thought about going, but you couldn't afford the trip. Too busy with work. Harvest was coming. Kids are in school. Grandkids on the way. Right? Everybody, miracles are taking place all around you. All around you, all around you, all around you. And one day, one day, Andy goes on vacation. And the people that have been doing the miracles show up as guest preachers. How would you feel that day? Would you be excited that day? You'd be excited that day. Right? All, and, I mean, just picture it. Just picture it. What if, I mean, just put it in our context. What if you heard stories? I mean, it was started making front page LA Times, New York Times, spreading all that maybe Jesus had come back. He'd gone to different countries and he was doing miracles and healings and all these things were happening. You're like, maybe Jesus has returned. And then all of a sudden, front page, LA Times, he's in Southern California and people are getting rare glimpses and miracle stories are coming out of the woodwork. And then all of a sudden, Sunday morning, All of the people that are at the center of all of this movement and writing all the miracles are here in church. What would you think? (gasps) Maybe I'll see Jesus this morning. That's what you would think. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior. And Paul says, Jesus, as he promised. Pow! Fireworks. Everybody's like, what? It's Jesus? Who? What? And then Paul pulls out the big guns. Verse 24. This is a bulletproof case. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. Everybody knew John, right? Does anybody know who Billy Graham is? Does anybody not know who Billy Graham is? Four people. Great. All under the age of seven. Great. You'll find out. Don't worry. Right? Okay? Yeah. Billy Graham, the most famous preacher in all of American history, led revivals with tens of thousands of people in stands, led millions of people to Christ in the United States. That's who Billy Graham was. I love the story of Billy Graham. He flies into Charlotte, North Carolina. That's his home base. Sick and tired of people driving around. Hadn't driven a car in like three months. He says to his driver, I'm driving the car. And the car driver's like, okay. Well, they get into the limo. He's got this massive V8, and Billy Graham's like going down the highway. He has no idea how fast he's going. Whoop, 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 whoop. Motorcycle pulls him over. Motorcycle cop gets out. He's a rookie, right? First year on the job, right? And I uh, says to his lieutenant, LT, I'm pulling out a limo. Might be a dignitary. And the LT says, I don't care who it is. Give him a ticket. If they're speeding, they're speeding. And he's like, all right. And rolls down the window. Yes, officer. It's Billy Graham. Motorcycle cop says, can I, can I have your identification, please? And Billy says, oh, of course. And he hands, Billy's, he hands his driver's license over and he says, one second. And he goes, uh, LT, um, I, I don't know who I just pulled over. And the lieutenant's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I think it's God. <laughs> 
Like, what, 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 you pulled over God? He's like, yeah, whoever it is, Billy Graham is his chauffeur. Right? That's John the Baptist. That's John the Baptist. John the Baptist, he preached repentance, and as John was completing his work, he said, who do you suppose I am? I'm not the one you're looking for. I'm just his chauffeur. The most famous preacher in Israel's history, John the Baptist, baptized millions of people, was the chauffeur of the one who is coming, of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. Pa-pow! Wow! Incredible! Their jaws would have hit the floor, and then they all would have passed out after this. Verse 30, 26. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers, read this with me, did not recognize Jesus. Ooh. Dang. Can you just, just picture this horror? You give your tax dollars to people to run your country, and they do a terrible job. Can you just picture that pain? Just imagine what that would feel like. Just the gross incompetence of people. And like, I know, like, we're not, I mean, just, it's hard. I mean, I'm asking for your empathy to put yourself in. Their shoes, right? The smartest people in all of Israel, the smartest people in all, all of the Mensa people, right? All of the graduates of all of the Ivy League schools, they, all they do is study who the Messiah is in Scripture all day long, and they didn't get the answer right. You kidding me? 250 years of studying, and you get the answer wrong? The people of Jerusalem and the rulers did not recognize Jesus, read, yet in condemning him. Oh, 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 it's not just that they didn't recognize him. No, they killed him. (laughs) Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Isaiah, by his stripes we shall be healed. By his, he was crushed for our iniquities. He was ruined for our transgressions. That's Isaiah. Verse 28. And though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. Dang. That's that's not just an accident, right? That's that's not just failure. Can I say something about failure for a second? Failure is an event, not a person. Say that with me. Failure is an event, not a person. You are not a failure, ever. 
You have failed. I have failed. You are not a failure. Failure is an event, not a person. Okay? Does that make sense? The Russian who invented dog minds. You ever heard this story? So Russia is a big place, yes? Panzer, divisions of panzer tanks are, are just churning up the miles on the western front of Russia, and they are quickly about to invade and destroy all of western Russia. And, um, and they're just chewing up the miles. And so they find a guy who says, I know how to deal with these tank problems. We will train dogs, hundreds and hundreds of dogs, to sniff the underside of tanks. And when they do, they will activate a mine that will strap to their back and will blow up the tanks. I know, I know it's terrible with the dogs, but just stay with me for the moment here in the story. And so they do this. They train 500 dogs in order to do this. And the battle starts, and they release the dogs, and there's all the T-34 Russian tanks on one side, and here's this massive division of panzer tanks on the one side, and they release the dogs from the wood, and the dogs, it looks like they're gonna go to the panzers, and then they all turn and go to the T-34 tanks and blow up an entire division of Russian tanks. They all accomplished their mission. And it was a massive failure. You know why? Because when they trained the dogs to go underneath a tank, the only tank they had were Russian tanks. And so the dogs did their training. That's failure. Does that make sense? Okay? This is not just failure. This is not just an accidental failure. The choice to kill Jesus was more than just that, okay? It's a choice. It's a strategy. And they hoped that the whole Jesus movement would end after Jesus was killed. But Paul says this, verse 30, everybody in, this, in the, the whole sanctuary is like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe this story. And then Paul says this, you know, because if you had heard, and this is before social media and all that, if you had heard that the Messiah had come and then he got killed... That's a bad day. And then Paul says this hopeful word. Read it with me real loud. But. Say it louder. But. God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. And they are now his witnesses to our people. What? Only God defeats death. Only God raises those who are righteous on the last day. Every Jew knew this. So for, and since it's not the last days, for God to raise Jesus now, he must be the most righteous one of all, a.k.a. God. And then Paul just busts wide the doors. He said, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And at this, everybody's crying in the synagogue. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Every sin. You see, there's a way to get right in this world, yeah? You be successful, you do good things, you tell the truth, you be a good, strong, moral person, and then that's a way to live right in this world. Everybody knows that. 
If you've made a mistake, you own it. You be courageous in the middle of it. If you've made a big mistake, you lie. Everybody knows that, okay? Right? Right? You apologize, people found out, not that you did it, right? You avoid responsibility as much as possible. We know this. This is how you make things right in the world, right? If you're really, really wealthy, then you donate to things, you know, you tip, not tithe. We all know this, yes? That's how, yes, that's how you make yourself right in this world. But the deepest, everybody knows that none of that works at the deepest foundational level of your life. You know that what was done to you is a stain that feels like it could never be erased, that what you did or what you failed to do is just to feel like you're never going to get clean from that. And if you've been a Roman soldier and you've committed atrocities that you never wanted to commit, oh my gosh, you know what it feels like to live with that stain. Every single one of us knows what it feels like to live with this stain. And there's no amount of sacrifice or barbecue that you could have that will make up for that. Yes? Yep. It's just not going to do it. But if the God of the universe whom we killed is willing to forgive us and wash us clean, then there actually is hope. Amen? Amen? It's Paul and Barnabas. We're leaving the synagogue. I think that's my phone. It's not. We have the same ringtone, though. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. They're like, can you please, what, what is this? Come back, talk, please, 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 please. See, when you hear about hope, you want to hear more. And it's a Gentile town, though. It's not a Jewish town. It's a Gentile town. But this is crazy. It gets posted on Facebook. It gets live streamed. I don't know how it is. And then it just explodes, Right? Verse 44, read this with me loud. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. What? Somebody say Shazam. That's right. Deep down, everybody needs to know this truth. Your deepest failure was an event, not a person. You are not your deepest failure. Your deepest betrayal of how you were hurt does not define you. You are loved and forgiven right where you are. You have as many second chances as you need. And you are allowed, no matter how messed up your past has been, to build something beautiful now. Somebody say amen. Amen. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with joy. <laughs> right? Tithing would be through the roof that week. Oh, it doesn't say that? What does it say? Verse 45, read it with me. When the Jews saw the crowds, what? Who gets angry? Who gets angry? Look, only church people get angry when a bunch of people show up to church. Ugh, can't find a parking spot. Who are all these new people? Ah! Stinking visitors. So strange. Why do the Jews feel angry? Well, they feel angry because Paul just told them that, that all of their brain trust and all of their leaders and all of their study meant that they missed Jesus completely. And not just that they missed Jesus, that they crucified Jesus. 
We get angry when, when we feel incompetent. Can I give you a definition? This is not the Webster's definition of incompetency. This is, in, the Webster's definition of incompetency is that you just simply don't have the skills to do something, right? I'm an incompetent mechanic. Does that make sense? I tried to change my water uh, heater on my 1961 Dodge Monaco. No, it was a 66 Dodge Monaco. It was a beautiful car, old classic custom car. It's five bolts, five bolts, five bolts. Couldn't do it. Had the car towed to my mechanic with a box full of parts, and I said, help. And he said, Andy, I'll make you a deal. You don't work on your car anymore, and I'll never preach at your church. And I said, deal. Uh, that's incompetency, okay? This definition of incompetency is straight from the pit of hell, okay? This is not Webster's. This is what the enemy tells you. Incompetency says this, I should know what I'm doing, but I'm too stupid to do the right thing. I'm too stupid to learn to do the right thing. Everyone else can do it except me. I'm not good enough to even do it. It makes you feel this way. And sometimes we have people in our lives who use incompetence as a weapon against us. For almost two decades, my father-in-law made me feel incompetent. It was his weapon. He, he got it from his dad. So it was generational and he passed it on to me. I was trained when I failed to think that I was incompetent that I didn't know the right answer and I didn't know how to do the right thing even if I knew the right answer. That's incompetency. So learning anything always included feeling terrible about myself. Can anybody relate? Now, if I chose to learn something, I could overcome that, but if I discovered that I didn't know something and I felt incompetent, I would get angry. Now, I'm not allowed to get angry at work. I'm your pastor. I don't have any bad emotions. Notice how I called them bad, a moral category, right? That's all kind of crazy, dysfunctional nonsense there. <coughs> so I couldn't feel angry at work, but I could feel angry at home. And in fact, I could feel angry when someone told me, like a close friend, that I didn't know what I was doing or how I was doing it. So I have a, I have a newsflash for you. I have no idea how to raise teenagers. Does anybody know how to know? I'm like, when you, if you've ever raised a teenager, once you get there, you realize, oh, I'm lost, right? Uh, it was a wonderful moment this last week. Levi totally snowed me, like, he, and he said, oh, I got to use my phone because uh, the homework is given on this chat, and I had no idea what this app was, and, and he just straight lied through his teeth. And... Uh, and it was great. And I was like, oh, good one on you. So he lost his phone for a while. Uh, uh, but I was talking with my friend about it. And they were like, oh, he said what? Oh, you totally got snowed, Andy. And in that moment, I felt so incompetent. And I actually got angry and frustrated with my friend who was trying to help me. Right? That's incompetence. L listen, you need to understand something. When Jesus through the Holy Spirit, confronts you about something in your life, Jesus never, ever, ever uses the weapon of incompetence. Ever. The Holy Spirit always pairs truth with love. Not truth with condemnation. Not truth with making you feel stupid. 
Not truth with making you feel less than, never. It's always truth with love. You are forever secure in God's love. And just because you didn't know about the thing that you messed up on doesn't make you less in God's eyes. Even if you knew the truth and you still messed up, it doesn't make you less in God's eyes. Jesus never shames you. Instead, Jesus always moves towards you with compassion and love. So the choice that we have is this. Next slide. When I'm confronted with the truth, will I respond with humility or anger? That's your choice. Guess what? Jesus, I pray that every single person here today would be confronted this week. Uh, Aren't you glad you came to church today? Will I repent and grow with the help of others, or will I get angry and resist? Here's an important truth. Jesus doesn't ask you to get it all perfect on the first try. Jesus asks you, read this with me. Remember that you are loved. Remember that you need to ask for help and try again. So here's how this passage ends. There's two responses to the gospel. Verse 49, the word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. 50, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them for their regions. This is going to happen over and over and over again. People are going to hear that they miss Jesus, and people are going to have two different responses. One, people are going to feel incompetent, and they're going to get angry and drive the mission, the church out. The second, people are going to go, wait, God loves me enough to forgive me even though I'm a sinner? And their hearts are changed. And right now, you have a choice because God is working on that one part of your heart. You know what part, part I'm talking about? Right? Your spouse texted me this week. You know what I'm talking about? That one part? And you can feel incompetent and get angry and resist, or you can be humbled that God would love you enough to seek your healing and change on that area. The choice is yours about how you want to respond. Because when you respond with love, something happens. You start to see that people will treat you, and they'll mistreat you, And it's not about you, it's about them. I love what Mother Teresa says. We're going to skip the next verse and go to the end. Mother Teresa says this, people are often unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Next slide. If you're kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. If you're successful, you will win some false friends and true enemies. If you're honest and frank, people may cheat you. What you spend years building, someone could destroy overnight. If you find serenity and happiness, they may be jealous. Come on, say it loud. The good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Why, Mother Teresa says, last slide. That's it? That's it? 
because it was never about them anyways. It's about you and Jesus. It's about you and Jesus. That the Savior of your soul loves you enough to forgive you so that your whole life may be a blessing to others. So you might find resistance in your own heart and you might find resistance in your family. Shake the dust off your feet and keep going. Love them, bless them, do the right thing. And what will happen will be a miracle that you cannot ever imagine. That your life will start to smell and look like Jesus himself. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray your Holy Spirit now would lock in and protect and secure all that we have spoken and sung today. The truth of the gospel has just been over us this entire morning. And I pray that you would bless and seal these good things in in the heart of my friends. Lord, thank you for them. Lord, bless them. Encourage them. And continue to use them to transform the lives of those that they touch. Jesus, you are so good. You are so great. We love you, Lord. Keep on binding up our broken hearts. We need it, Jesus. And we give to you the people in our lives today that we're just so concerned about. Lord, heal them. You're great enough to do that. We love you, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You guys, great things are coming. Great things are coming for us. I'm so excited about what's next in our church. Would you stand for the benediction? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance. That's his delight in you. And give you the peace that passes all understanding. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's beloved, forgiven saints said, God bless you guys. Have a great day. Pastor Andy Rock is the senior pastor of Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 1040 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California. For more information, visit our website, www.mycoastal.org. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you have a great week.